0: Welcome to Days: The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce Torres. With us is John Loftus, a former Army intelligence officer, Justice Department investigator, and U.S. government prosecutor who has had security clearances many levels above top secret. John is the author of America's Nazi Secret an insider's history of how the United States Department of Justice obstructed Congress by blocking congressional investigations into famous American families who funded Hitler, Stalin, and Arab terrorists, lying to Congress, the GAO, and the CIA about the post-war immigration of Eastern European Nazi war criminals to the U.S., and concealing from the 9-11 investigators the role of the Arab Nazi war criminals in recruiting modern Middle Eastern terrorist groups. John has also written the foreword for The Sleeper Agent, The Rise of Lyme Disease, Chronic Illness, and The Great Imitator Antigens of Biological Warfare by A.W. Finnegan, out this September 2023. Pre-order now at trinday.com and the usual sellers. John and Chris, it's great to be with you both. Thank you.
1: And it's great that Adam's book is finally coming out. Yes. Four years ago, I uh, talked with this young man, And he was volunteering to do some research for me. And I said, uh, well, I'm trying to get records declassified on Lyme disease. And uh, we've been hitting a stone wall. But why don't you want to give it another try? Well, he spent four years of his life doing that and came out with what I think is this absolutely brilliant research the world has never seen. So I had a story from my clients who were retired intelligence agents. About how Lyme disease got started and how it involved the Nazis and the Russians and all this crazy stuff, but Adam went out and found the documents to prove it. So,
2: good job. Yes, it's it's quite amazing, and you know that's one thing I wanted to get into, and and uh, you know your, your expertise and there's not that many people that have had your security clearances and have been able to see behind the scenes. We, as people here are just you know, we're getting uh, you know all kinds of different agendas sent to us right, left, and center. and uh, I want you to talk a little bit about sovereign countries, because a lot of people, they're mad at our government. They think our government is 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 evil and is doing you know, and governments are evil. it's what people do with them. They're just a thing just like any yeah. other thing. and And most governments in the world are smaller.
1: Than uh, American multinational corporations, right? You know, we have, you know, we have corporations that have much more power than any one European government, uh, and they have had their own intelligence operations. They even funded their own wars. Just because a multinational corporation is headquartered in America doesn't mean it's an American corporation. These That's... guys are only loyal to profit,
2: right? So, so try and explain the. The, the craziness of, of, of what is out there and how many agendas are, are, you know, propagandizing the American people.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. My favorite group of people to pick on were the Wall Street crowd before World War II. They were heavily invested in Bolshevik Russia, which was illegal. They were heavily invested in Nazi Germany, which was publicly condemned, but not outright illegal. And they were heavily invested in what became the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It was just one of those ways they wanted to find some place where they could they could have monopolies, trusts, and cartels in a legal way. Germany offered them that. Russia offered them that. And the Saudis offered them that. In America, we had uh, Teddy Roosevelt had passed all this antitrust legislation and were driving the monopolists out of the US. So they went to find foreign bases where they could operate legally. One of the causes of the Great Depression was that a lot of Wall Street investment money was sucked out of Wall Street and poured into what became Nazi Germany, the Islamist radicals in the Middle East, and the Bolsheviks that became the Communist Party of Russia, the Soviet Union.
2: Right. Right. Well, you, you know, like one thing that that Adam traces in his book, OK, is how, you know, the biological warfare, OK, between, quote unquote, the great powers became a real.
1: Boy, there was an example. The British were the ones who mastered biological warfare back in the seventeen and 1800s. We began to get into the game very late. And during World War One what is now known as the Spanish flu of 1918, actually began in Fort Riley, Kansas, earlier in 1917, early 1918. And the virus was started, apparently, by a vaccine that was created to stop meningitis. Meningitis is always a problem for military barracks around the world because it spreads so easily from soldier to soldier. But they knew early on in 1918 but something had horrible had gone on, a terrible new illness had come up. And the soldiers that were training in Fort Riley were spreading the illness along the railroad tracks as they headed off to the ports of embarkation. And so the US government actually censored from the press any mention that the soldiers were spreading a deadly flu. They told that they would face you know, the new uh, Espionage Act, they could go to prison if they reported the truth, that the soldiers were spreading a new illness. And when the soldiers arrived in France, the illness had mutated once again on the ships going overseas, and it became even more deadly. They called it the blue flu at first. And, of course, the Russians and Germans had the most casualties from it because they were the worst help. And they blamed the Americans and the British for what they thought was a new form of biological warfare. And Lenin's older brother died from it. Putin's grandfather's brother died from it. So there was a real mistaken idea that the Americans had launched a biological warfare weapon. It wasn't us. I don't think it was the British, although they were doing that kind of thing, as they had done to the Irish with the potato famine. But uh, the Russians began a gigantic program in biological weapons in the 1920s. And they succeeded amazingly. They invented a technique for splicing together pieces of DNA and RNA back in the 1920s. They just did this in a simple lab setup. They didn't have access to electron microscopes or any of the modern degrees. But they were creating combining strands of viruses and splicing it together in a way that was invisible. I mean, this was like saying that the Russians had moon rockets back in the 1920s. So the Russians tested these new deadly viruses on their own people. Tens of millions of Muslims in the southern Russian states and uh, the, the people of Mongolia. They had uh, Something like between 10 and 100 million were infected. About a, a million to 2 million people died from Stalin's biological warfare. In 1939, he had thrown out all the Western scientists from the area so that no one could report what he was doing. But that's how he eliminated his opposition internally. He actually poisoned them with these new biological weapons. He did the same thing to the Germans when they attacked. In Stalingrad, they had the, uh, rabbit disease, where the rabbits had fleas on them. When the German soldiers came in, they caught the bodies and ate them and spread the disease. Well, The whole German army in the area came down with diarrhea and vomiting at the same time. They were too sick to fight. Now, that's how the Russians survived Stalingrad, with biological weapons. It was one of their big state secrets. At the end of World War II, uh, the Nazi scientists who had helped the Russians develop some of these things were actually went to the British. So we had one Nazi war criminal, his name was the uh, Dr. Straub, escaped from communist East Germany. In fact, he'd been recruited by the KGB. Other KGB agents inside British intelligence sprung him from East Germany, moved him to West Germany, and shipped him off to America under our Operation Paperclip. You know, if we thought we were getting nice scientists, the British agents were screening them not for us but for the Kremlin. They were screening guys they could blackmail for war crimes. Dr. Traub had already worked for the Rockefeller's in America before World War II, and so. It was plausible. So this was a guy who worked with a British intelligence agent named Donald McLean, and they were given their own island off the coast of Connecticut, Plum Island. When I was a kid, I I spent about 80 miles away, had a cottage in Cape Cod. So the birds that were infected with these bugs from Plum Island would fly right over my home. And kids were always picking ticks off ourselves. So the Nazi scientists decided to find a way to infect the ticks with various diseases. And the clever thing was he found a way to suppress our immune systems. So it wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna infect them with malaria. What he did was he found a way to infect the ticks with a way to suppress our immune systems. Now, everybody in America, in the world, has bugs in their system that are suppressed in a normal, healthy immune system. By weakening, all of a sudden, Americans began to get cancer at an alarming rate like nowhere else in the world. We had things like uh, uh, the uh, myasthenia gravis with uh, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. The things that people had really heard of, they were so rare. Now everybody knows, fibromyalgia. Oh yeah, I know somebody that has that. So by weakening the immune system, dozens of different illnesses were attacking the human bodies. The idea was the Russians had invented this weapon not to kill people outright. That would attract too much attention. The idea was to make them so sick, they couldn't work, they couldn't fight. It was an economic weapon designed, according to Russian defectors, it was designed to attack the Chinese and then the American economy. That bears a startling resemblance to uh, uh, what would we would call uh, COVID-19.
2: Right, right. Now you've heard some, through your intelligence contacts, some interesting, how do we want to call them, theories about about COVID, about that there was a, a Russian one that was different, or I, I, can you explain some of this? Sure thing, yeah. People don't realize, you
1: know, they're looking at this lab in the city of Wuhan, the Chinese lab. They didn't realize that Russian scientists were working there, studying the same stuff. So the Russians had a gigantic laboratory Called the vector institute that specialized in viruses and antidotes and using this old system they had they could take an old virus and then accelerate it make a new vaccine for it well they combined spliced together the the sars virus which was pretty deadly together with the aids attachment virus so it could it wouldn't kill people too quickly now but it would spread very very rapidly And the splicing in the RNA section was invisible. This stuff was stored in the vector warehouse laboratory. Well, all of a sudden, there was an explosion in September 2019. Talk about a lab leak. So no one knows how much stuff was taken from the the warehouse. But within a month, the Chinese began to come down with COVID-19, what they call a chimera virus. By splicing together things, the Russians had made a new virus.
0: John, John, where was that vector lab? In uh,
1: Novosibirsk, in Siberia. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the, the director of the lab uh, had mafia ties. In fact, he had disappeared just before the explosion. So it looks as if he had helped the Russian mafia steal some of the virus, let it loose in China, and then blackmail them into buying the uh, vaccine. Now, the support for that is that Russia has like a 4,000 mile border with China, right? No Russian got sick with the first version of COVID-19. They had all been vaccinated. They didn't know it because the vaccine at that time was sprayed by the air. A little trick they got from British intelligence. So nobody in Russia got sick with COVID-19 for months and months and months, zero. And all of a sudden, somehow someone sold the vaccine to China And all of a sudden, Chinese infections dropped to zero. Everybody was locked up. But then something weird happened. The Russians hadn't anticipated that this kind of virus, an RNA virus, mutates on its own. And sure enough, it had mutated in Italy. A couple of Russians had gone to Italy for a ski trip, and they brought it back with them. And next thing you know, all the hospitals in Moscow and St. Petersburg are filled with people with COVID-19 and that new form of the virus is spreading all over China and there's no vaccine for it so China then has to lock all their people down the Russians are pushing Novosibirsk to come up with a vaccine for this but it takes a long long time we still don't know what the casualty rate in Russia was but it may have been even higher percentage wise than anywhere in Europe because the Russians had prepared nothing they thought they were vaccinated they were immune so that I think is how the virus started and then spread around the world because the rest of us were careless. I mean, South Korea and the United States got coronavirus on the same day. And we had 1 million people more dying because the Koreans, South Koreans, really took good basic precautions. And they figured out that the virus was spreading more rapidly in church choirs that had become aerosolized. The Americans refused to believe it. What would these primitive Asians even know about this? So we didn't ban choir beans or even look for aerosol viruses for another year. So a million extra people died in America, partly because of American medical arrogance and partly because, quite frankly, the Trump administration just did the world's worst job. What they were desperately trying to cover up was they had fired almost all our centers for preparing for an epidemic. Uh, American doctors in Wuhan were called home just before it broke down uh, to please Republican donors that had their factories in China. Trump gave them a waiver saying they could sell all their epidemic preparedness material to the Chinese if they wanted. So all of a sudden, when COVID breaks down, American factories in China can't send masks home, can't send respirators. It's all going to China. So Trump covered all that stuff up and uh, they sent people looking in various directions everywhere except Russia. Yeah. I think that uh, his buddy Putin, they finally came across, you know, a vaccine, but it didn't cover all the people. And eventually this thing just became the scourge of the world. Trump really is responsible for a lot of extra deaths around the world for not stepping up and saying, Hey, this is what our intelligence agencies think is going on because we had defectors coming out yeah, of Russia. I,
2: yeah, I know. That's one thing that, that you know, in, in, in looking at Adam's book and reading Adam's book, you know, I became aware of a bunch of different defectors that, you know, have they've written books about the, the Russian bio warfare uh, programs, you know, quite extensively. You know, I had to say
1: this, but the CIA didn't believe him. They said, oh, we know all about the Vector Institute, Novosibirsk, those are the good guys. Those are the guys that work you know, to come up with vaccines against enemy infections. You know, They may have you know, a few ounces of virus in their labs. It wasn't a few ounces. It was tons, hundreds of tons of virus that they had stored in the tanks there. And the CIA just wouldn't believe it. If it was that big, we would have known about it. Well, they didn't know about it. You know, I'm afraid that the Russian penetration of the American pharmaceutical injury was almost as good as Russian penetration of the FBI. It's, you can't cover all these topics in one book, but Adam has done a wonderful job at explaining how the Russian system works. They used the best of Nazi technology, combined it with this secret Russian technology, and were able to make tailored viruses that would be useful. But instead of the kind of virus like polio that goes out and kills people at a high level, they wanted to get viruses that made people too sick to fight, too sick to work, and destroy our economies.
2: Right, And that right.
1: was what COVID ended up as.
2: Now, are are you still uh, getting information from uh, recalcitrant uh, intelligence agencies and uh, agents? And are, are they still trying to get a bunch of stuff uh, in the public arena, you know?
1: Yeah, and the problem is that there is a small army of people trying to snow the American public. And I hate to say it, but it's mostly the Republican Party that's out there just lying through their teeth trying to cover this stuff up, you know, um, because it all goes back to group people like the Rockefeller that had funded a lot of this research in Germany, in Nazi Germany, and that had employed people like Dr. Traub and had brought him back to America it was these Wall Street investors in Nazi Germany that brought their Nazis back and the Justice Department where I worked covered it up we had an assistant attorney general for legislative affairs and in the early 70s all the stuff that had been going on was starting to come out including little bits about biological warfare and the Nazis and the Justice Department had an Assistant Attorney General for Legislative Affairs who was assigned to cover it up. His name was Mitch McConnell. Yeah, that Mitch McConnell. This is how Mitch got his start in politics. So he helped create the Rockefeller Commission of Intelligence Oversight to investigate what Rockefeller had done. It's cute, you know? So it did cover up the Nazi connection, but there was still enough other stuff left over that the Senate went ahead with their own investigation and did a lot of things. So, on the Nazi side, things stay quiet, stay quiet. Mitch McConnell went back to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where he ran for judge, which is like an executive office. So, Judge McConnell's district happened to be in the exact same district as the Democratic chairman of the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration. So, all of a sudden, I'm on 60 Minutes. And they have to hold hearings on how Nazis got to America. Someone, I think it was just Mitch himself, went to the uh, judge and told the Democratic Congressman, you can keep your seat. We'll promise that McConnell won't run against you in your own district. And it will even help you with getting legislation passed. But you've got to quietly kill this loftus investigation. And he did. He sold us out. Now, I got calls from uh, the congressman's office saying hey our boss just sold you out i didn't believe it okay it took me years to discover that mitch mcconnell was the guy who was the payoff mcconnell had all this rockefeller money for his tv ads you know he really was the the powerful force in the Louisville, kentucky area
2: didn't he stop you from uh testifying also yeah that was the mcconnell's job if if McConnell didn't
1: run against uh, the Democrat, then McConnell's payoff would be that he would get the money to run for a state Senate, for U.S. Senate, which he did. As soon as the hearings were over, then McConnell ran for that. But the, the Democratic chairman, he uh, said, I could only testify in public hearing. None of the classified information would be ever heard in the executive session. So, if and they just probably tell me, you open your mouth about the secret stuff and you'll go to prison and we'll take away your law license. Yeah, they shut it down really well, very clever.
2: Well, you know, they've been shutting this down for quite, a, I mean, uh, FDR was, was ready to expose the Wall Street, Prescott, Bush and all these people and their Nazi and, connections. And
1: he had a great way of doing it too. He had a good judge who at the end of World War II had an indictment against two U.S. Senators and 11 U.S. Congressmen. And the 13 of them were to be put on trial for being paid Nazi agents. Okay? We had the payment records. We had everything. All of a sudden, the judge died. And the Justice Department then killed the rest of the investigation. It never continued. The trial was never held. So, a question. A rock where, where, where,
2: can, can, can people find any information about that? These are in the
1: Justice Department, Attorney General's eyes only file on the sixth floor of the Justice Department. The vault is on the sixth floor and the AG's office is on the seventh. So, that's where I saw the records. I was one of a handful, they pick a handful of young lawyers every year to be law clerks to the Attorney General of the United States. So, I had the same access privileges that he had. So that's how I stumbled across all this Nazi stuff. And the Nazis had agreed with the FBI. The, the FBI, at the time, I didn't know it. They had 15 Nazi war criminals as paid FBI informants. Two of them were my cases. And they were hiding it from me, hiding it from Congress. This was mutiny. They were just lying through their teeth. So the Justice Department got complicit first with the Rockefeller cover up, then with the Nazi cover up. The result was that. All of a sudden, I was the good guy in the intelligence community. Everybody knew if they sent information to me, I would go back and get it legally declassified by CIA or whoever, and I would get it published in 16 Minutes or someplace. So for the last 40 years, I've become a pro bono attorney for whistleblowers who want to do it legally. Now, these guys, you know, they have to pay me a dollar apiece to cover it on the trade client. Release. So I'm the worst paid lawyer in America, but I'm among the better informed.
2: Well, John, yeah. th- th- this is all making my skin crawl, you know, and net, I, I, net I've heard it that. before, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a sad indictment on, uh, you know, the Justice <laughs> Department there, and it's a sad indictment on our media. It really is. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. The, the, uh, the Justice Department, my first boss was a good guy. He was a former Nazi prosecutor, and they just drove him out. The next guy, Alan Ryan, uh, was ordered by the bureaucrats not to let the Democrats know, but you know to cover up the FBI Nazis that were working for the FBI and to stop my investigation. So Ryan later confessed to a guy from the New York Times and, He mentioned that in one of his books. But uh, yeah, they were pretty sleazy people. Some of this is kind of advanced and sophisticated. It's a little hard to understand. But I think one of the things that Adam has done in this book is to provide a ton of documentation. And I put it in a way that people who are not scientists can say, you know, this guy is really right. So, you know, I wrote the foreword of what the old spies said. And I had some great sources. There was this husband-wife team. The wife had been, she was an officer in the British Secret Intelligence Service. She was in charge of the uh, British archives in occupied Germany. Her husband was the head of American counterintelligence for communist infiltration in Germany. So the two of them got married. They knew everything. If they didn't know, they had friends who knew. It was absolutely astounding how the, the British Intelligence Service was penetrated so thoroughly by the Russians. And then the British sold us all these Nazi war criminals and pretended they were Eastern European anti-communist freedom fighters. And really, they were the dregs of the Nazi war criminals. But the CIA didn't care because it was run by Alan Dulles, who was the lawyer for the Rockefellers. Yeah. And uh, all that Dulles cared about was that the Rockefellers got their money back, none of his clients went to jail for committing treason by giving aid and comfort to the enemy in time of war. So we actually had two CIAs for a while. One that was run by President Truman and the other that was run by Dulles inside the State Department because they all thought that Dewey was going to defeat Truman in the re-election campaign. And so for a while there, we had one CIA hidden inside the State Department and one CIA that was hidden inside the CIA. Yeah. And they weren't merged together until uh, Dulles was officially the head of the CIA. But that was when Eisenhower came. See, Eisenhower was a Dulles Brothers puppet. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks he was a brilliant man. Maybe he was as a general, but uh, they said, you're going to be the president of Colombia, Give you some distinguished credibility. And then we're going to pay for your campaign for president. But the, the problem was that one Dulles brother had to become the secretary of state and the other had to become head of the CIA. Yeah, they ruined America's reputation by turning these two crooks loose on the world.
2: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Prescott Bush. It's in a uh, an audio uh, collection. But Prescott Bush talks about how, you know, he was running Brown Brothers harem in there and he went over to Shafe headquarters to talk to Ike. And he went he says, well, Ike, we want to know, are you a Democrat or Republican? And I said, well, I'm a Republican. I thought you guys knew that. And then the very next uh, week who shows up, but uh, Averill Harriman and uh, Dean Atchison, uh, you know, and they're, they're both uh, members of the secret societies here at Yale. You know, you add into this mix uh, the other information that you have brought to the world about Richard Nixon, you know, blackmailing the Dulles brothers. Okay, and then he becomes a, and then, you know, there's a relationship between a blackmailer and a blackmailer. A lot of times the blackmailer thinks that he's in charge, but not always. And so they end up using Richard Nixon uh, to do some incredible things. Uh, It was funny. Richard Nixon
1: was in New York, the Brooklyn Navy Yard, looking at captured German documents and finds documents showing that, um, you know, Prescott Bush runs a bank in New York that really owns the stock of a bank in Holland that owns the stock of a bank in Berlin. But anyway, that's how these guys are putting American money into Nazi Germany, and they're all Dulles's clients. So, you know, Nixon's smart enough. He walks into Dulles's office and said, you don't want this stuff to see the light of day. And Dulles, what do you want? I don't want to be congressman. No problem. So they fund Richard Nixon's first campaign for Congress. And they make Ike take Nixon as his vice president. Now, Ike is told that Nixon will do all the dirty work. He'll run all the Nazi networks and the spies and all this crap. You keep your hands clean. Ike knew what was going on. Ike said fine. So Nixon did that. Now, when Nixon later runs for president, he tells his proxies, go talk to the North Vietnamese. You tell them that if they sabotage the Paris peace trucks and drag it out, don't give Johnson what he wants, then I'm going to defeat him in the upcoming election, and I'll give the North Vietnamese whatever they want. And the North Vietnamese said, fine. And, of course, the North Vietnamese work for China, right? Well, and Russia, you know. Well, but in those days, they were really looking more for the Chinese. But anyway, they were able to use that information against Nixon later on. So Nixon sends Kissinger to the Vietnamese, and uh, what do the Chinese want for going along with this and keeping their mouths shut? Because Nixon had committed treason. I mean, giving aid and comfort to the North Vietnamese in time of war is definitely the treason under our constitution. And Johnson knew it, but the British Secret Service wouldn't release the audio tapes of the, Recordings.
2: Yeah, Nixon Nixon went from being a congressman to being a senator and then to being vice president in six years. Uh, yep. Was there really a typewriter inside that pumpkin?
1: <laughs> you know, the secret to Russian recruitment of people in the US government was the FBI. Before World War II, they had policemen, or it was called the Red Squad in New York City who were anti-communist experts. And when Hoover built the FBI, he recruited several of the Red Squad guys for his office. And uh, Hoover didn't know it, but two of the Red Squad people were really Reds. They were communist double agents. So when we deciphered the, the Russian telegram codes during World War II, we found out that there were definitely two communist spies inside the New York field office of the FBI. So the assistant director comes into Hoover and says, hey, we got two commie spies in our most critical office. And, you know, if I transfer them out two by two, we'll eventually identify who they were. And Hoover said, don't do it. Let them Stay where they are. Don't do an investigation because the press will find out and it'll destroy my reputation. So rather than risk Hoover's embarrassment having recruited a couple of communists, he let the,
2: uh, the KGB
1: run the New York field office or the FBI. Uh, true story.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, you know, and you you have people, you know, they say, well, we'd rather be Nazis and socialists and all this type of stuff. And, you know, using that type of logic to uh, make decisions doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, well, these guys didn't believe in Nazism or socialism. They invested in both. They just they believed in making money yeah you know? so right. Hitler let them have secret control of some not the Nazi corporations and, and uh, the Russians did the same I mean the, the Koch brothers uh, they see whether it was their daddy that restored Stalin's oil business you know and Harriman um, the Harrimans were the ones that got the gold laundered illegally into Russia to save the Bolshevik Revolution and rearm them yeah. So Brown Brothers Harriman was was the most corrupt. That's the only bank in the world that got permission to erase all its banking files for the period leading up to World War II. Yeah,
2: And they were also running the Hamburg lines, you know. Um, yeah, with the Nazis. I had a guy who was the the, uh, the
1: Navy secret agent inside the the Hamburg American Lines, and um, and he found all the Nazi networks that were in there. And uh, you know they they knew the naval intelligence knew. Everybody knew the Nazis were all over the place in the U.S. Hoover wouldn't touch them. It was only when the war broke out that Hoover had to run around and borrow files from the Jewish agencies to find out where the Nazis were living in America. So Hoover was a fake.
2: Mr. Loftus, you are a national treasure. Well, thank you. (laughs) Uh,
1: The Irish uh, put the earth to be a pain in the neck to all the bad guys.
2: (laughs) Do you have any last words, sir? I had a lot of
1: fun doing this. Uh, I hang around with a group of old guys, and every once in a while we pulled dirty tricks. We became uh, Al Qaeda's telephone company. We, yeah, we handed out these free international calling cards, saying we, we use our calling cards free for 90 days in joined by the phone company. So <clears throat> I was their phone company. I got the list of everyone they were calling. And, and what areas, what time, and matched them up against terrorist attacks. <laughs> Went to the Pentagon and said that, I have a list of all the Al-Qaeda supporters in America. Can you check, Can you search once, can you check all of the numbers of known terrorists overseas and see if any of those guys are calling my guys? Guy called me back the next day and said, the computer lit up like a Christmas tree. So all of a sudden, he had the ammunition to go to court to get the wiretaps and computer traces. And since 9 11, there's never been an attack from Al Qaeda against America. So, some idiot in the FBI told Al Qaeda what I was doing. In fact, uh, when SEAL Team 6 raided his house and, and killed him on his bedside table, they found all my documents and publications. So, it's nice. Man is known by his enemies. It's nice to know that he hated me.
2: Amen. But I did,
1: I did wipe out his American spy network.
2: Well, I tell you, again, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Loftus. Amen. Uh, Onwards (laughs) to a better future. Thank you much.